Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for the Pharmacy Leadership Podcast. Our discussion for this podcast series focuses on leadership topics within pharmacy practice, including the business of pharmacy, development of leadership skills, career transitions, and more. My name is Joel Henninfant, and I will be your host today. I'm a recent appointed member on the ASHP Pharmacy Executive Leadership Alliance Advisory Panel and the Chief Pharmacy Officer and Associate Administrator for Laboratory and Medical Imaging at Truman Medical Centers in Kansas City, Missouri. With me today is the 2019 ASHP Foundation New Preceptor Award winner, Dr. Katie Cordy. Katie is the Director of Pharmacy at Truman Medical Center Lakewood, and her practice area interests include pharmacy practice leadership, culture change, organizational change management, and healthcare policy. Thanks for joining us today, Katie. My pleasure. Let's get started talking about today's topic, steps to elevate your communication style. So you and I both started at Truman Medical Center seven years ago. I have had a front row seat observing your professional journey from PGY1 and PGY2 resident to a critical care clinical specialist. Your path into leadership, including residency program director, clinical manager, and now director over a short period of time has been truly fascinating. Can you share with our listeners how you became interested in communication strategies? Absolutely. So Joel, as you mentioned, in those roles that I have been in in the last several years, I have interacted with such a variety of people. And what I kept coming back to through every interaction, when I would walk away and think to myself, did that go exactly how I wanted it to go? Was it as successful as I wanted it to be? I kept coming back and thinking, what was my role in that interaction? And if I wasn't satisfied with the interaction, what could I have done differently? And so early on in my career, I established a network of mentors, you being one of them, obviously. And I embraced the opportunities to really dig in and identify an area within myself that needed to be developed and enhanced to be a more effective team member, a more effective leader, and a more effective pharmacist. And one of those areas was my communication and building on that. So from that communication perspective, what were the eye-opening experiences you had transitioning into a leadership role? Well, I think one of the most eye-opening experiences is the fact that the approach wasn't transferable based on what setting I was in. So if you think back to pharmacy school and, and the education that you receive with communication, you receive a lot of education on how to get a recommendation approved by a provider. You think about how to go on rounds and get the team to listen to you and to respond. You also learn how to break down information for a patient. What you don't necessarily learn through your education is, how do I work through a conflict with a peer? How do I motivate a team of people to get the work done on a shift that I'm working on the weekend? How do I sit down and have a disagreement with my supervisor? You don't really receive that kind of education when you're going through school. And so I think the eye-opening piece was, sure, I could go out and master how to get a room of healthcare professionals in a trauma bay to listen to me and listen to what dose I want them to use. But I couldn't necessarily use that same exact approach to 
have an interaction with a direct report or with a peer that I had a conflict with. So I think that was the most eye-opening part. And it helped me identify that there was a real foundation here that needed to be built upon. Fascinating. Why should people care about developing their communication skill set? And what does the data show? Yeah, the key thing here is that it's not just about soft skills and that there is a real connection here with the outcomes that you see in practice when people have good communication skills and a good foundational skill set here that they can implement in practice. And so as I have begun to research this topic and personally develop myself, I came across what I'm sure all of our listeners have heard of, which is the Crucial Conversations teachings. And in that, they cite quite a bit of research of the impact that poor communication has or lack of communication. And in that research, they point out that 70% of people avoid difficult conversations in the workplace. And Joel, I would venture to say that that is probably lower than what's reported. So if we lined up 10 people, and I think out of those 10 people, there's probably more than seven who are avoiding a difficult conversation today at work. I think that's something that's very real that people struggle with, and that's probably lower than what's really happening. They also have shared that 34% of people have put off a difficult conversation for at least a month. And so if you think about what that conversation could potentially be surrounding, think about our preceptors out there who are working with students and residents. If there is a resident who's underperforming and you're uncomfortable with that conversation, that could be very detrimental both to their career, but also to patient care, to your residency program. If you think about a pharmacist on the front line who wants to not have a conversation, they're uncomfortable and they're putting it off with their supervisor. These all have really long-term poor impact or negative effects on the team. In all of that research that was shared through the Crucial Conversations teachings, they also outlined that avoidance of communication or having these conversations actually led to wasting an average of $1,500 a day in an eight-hour workday. And I think that stands out more now than ever, now that we are in the economic times that we're in and we're, we're all trying to find cost savings We're all trying to do more with less, as you say, Joel. And I think seeing those numbers and knowing that this is something that we could really work on as far as self-development and coaching our teams and helping them build this skill set and potentially avoid this waste is really big. So I think those are some of the key reasons why people should really care about developing this skill. Katie, I agree with you that I would venture to guess that it's more than seven out of 10 people. It's probably 10 out of 10 people that are avoiding a difficult conversation in the workplace. So now that we know the data that you shared, what would your top recommendations be for someone to improve their communication skill set? Sure. So as I have gone through this journey of developing myself and researching the resources that are available to me to really work on that skill set, I found myself combining two primary resources. So I combined the Crucial Conversations teachings with the ASHP Preceptor Playbook that they've released that really helps guide preceptors specifically in how they manage and precept our students and residents that we have within our organizations. And so really it's this structured approach of starting with when, where, why is step one. So really thinking through, why do I want to have this conversation? 
assessing your own personal emotions with this scenario. So am I reactive right now? Am I upset right now? Is this an urgent conversation that needs to happen? Or can I take some time to step away and process what I would like to communicate with the other person? What is the outcome that I'm really trying to achieve? And I think an interesting one that a lot of people don't consider is what's the worst that could happen? So I think a lot of times when you are approaching an uncomfortable conversation and you want to avoid it, to really sit down and think, what is the worst that could happen? And to realize that it may not be as bad as you've allowed yourself or your imagination to think that it could be. And moving on from there, after you establish your when, where, and your why, deliver and receive. So one of the key points from crucial conversations is to establish a shared meeting. So making sure that when you're sitting down with someone to have that conversation, whether it's uncomfortable for you, or maybe you're delivering some really tough feedback is to make sure that both you and the other person have an established shared meaning. So for example, if you're working through a process and you're working maybe with a peer and they simply disagree on how to execute whatever the task is that you're working through. I've before taken a step back and said, we're both here to take good care of our patients. And we're both here to be the best team members that we can be both for each other and for the rest of our team. So focusing on that, how can we make this process better? And sometimes that really helps the other person understand that Your intent is not to put them on the defense. Your intent is not to win the conversation, but it's really to start off with that shared meaning and to address the issue that you're bringing to the table. And it's so important then to invite that other person to share their perspective. Through the other resources that I've explored, there is so much out there about how these conversations cannot have a win-lose mentality. You really need to approach these conversations with a win-win mentality and whatever messages you're feeding yourself of how there is a win-lose scenario that is presenting to you, really try to work on your mindset that this can be a win-win and you need to be able to listen to that other person and understand their perspective and demonstrate that you are listening. That's been a big one for me to work on the last couple of years is using the two ears that I have and the one mouth that I have proportionally and not preparing my response the moment the other person starts speaking and paraphrasing back that I heard what they said and that I'm not there just to push my agenda, but that I'm understanding where they're coming from. So that's the second step that I would recommend. The third step is to stay in tune. And I think this one is one of the most interesting things that I've learned of recent, and it comes from the crucial conversations teachings of being able to recognize when someone who's at the table with you is going into silence or violence is how they outline it. And really what that means is when someone becomes quiet or they become reactive and defensive, and that really tells you that that person no longer feels safe in the conversation with you. And that's a moment for you to take a step back and ask that person. And if I was having the conversation with you, Joel, I might say, Joel, I've noticed that, that you've gotten really quiet. Is there something I've said that has bothered you about this conversation? And not only does it acknowledge the other person at the table, but it helps break that mindset that they might be getting into that's causing them to get either defensive or closed off. 
And the last part of that is to conclude and clearly conclude. And I believe this comes from the ASHP preceptors playbook with the recommendation to end your conversation with who does what by when so that both parties are very clear on how that conversation has concluded, what the follow-up is, and there's really no question walking away from that interaction of what you have agreed on or what you've worked through. So these take a lot of time and a lot of practice. I still have many interactions where I don't follow these steps and I take a step back and reflect and think, wow, I really wish I would have recognize that that person got defensive and stopped the conversation and, and work that out in that moment. So this doesn't come easy and it's very normal for it not to come easy. But I think if the listeners today start to think through it as a stepwise approach, I think everyone would see that it really makes those communication or, or the interactions much more efficient. Very insightful information there, Katie. I think we can all walk away with our two ears and one mouth and using them proportional and keep that in the back of our mind all the time. You know, to add to that, doing it in a kind and thoughtful way as you execute those types of conversations builds a lifelong relationship with that individual because they know you care about them and you know you care about the patients. And I think that's all really important. Yeah, I agree. So from your recommendations, what communication strategies have you found to be successful with the recent pandemic? I would say to continue utilizing a structured approach, regardless of the platform that is being used. So we had some new challenges with a number of our team members moving into remote work. And while our department was prepared for our team to work remotely, we had never been in that scenario before on how do you continue your lines of communication with a portion of your department being remote. And so ensuring that we had a structured approach with how we communicated with the team, thinking back to the steps that I just outlined, I think that was really helpful. Katie, you mentioned that remote work created new challenges. Share what the biggest hurdle was for you in communicating with a remote team. You know, for me, I think it was making sure that I wasn't committing the digital miscommunication mishaps that happen quite often, which it's tough to be aware of. And I think for anyone who listens to podcasts and you're on the email chains of different organizations that send you tips of the day, we were being overloaded with information on how to communicate with remote workers. And so I did a lot of research into this area of how do we make sure that that communication is, is efficient and what it needs to be for the times that we were in. And so one thing that I became hyper aware of was digital miscommunication. And so some of those things include emotionally proofreading your communication. So more in the last six months than ever, I have read and reread my instant messages or my emails or any written communication, because if I have minimal face-to-face -face interaction with my peers or with any of the pharmacists, technicians, or interns on our team, I want to make sure that with that minimal face-to-face -face interaction, that my written communication is still positive and well-received. Some other things that became very clear and apparent when it came to digital communication was using video when we can. And I think that the different experiences that we've been through when we were able to have our cameras turned on and to see each other, that really helps because you can make eye contact kind of <laughs> through the camera. You can see some nonverbals, you can see facial expressions. And so that was really, really nice to be able to work through that and have that option. 
but another hurdle I think that came up is how do we continue to communicate with compassion and communicating with compassion was something that I was working on personally as part of my personal development before the pandemic. And it became even more of an issue once the pandemic hit because it was something that I already needed to develop. And now I need to lean on that strength more than ever. And so what does that mean to communicate with compassion? For me, it meant don't make assumptions. It meant understand that everybody on our team has a different experience through what we are experiencing as a nation right now. And it meant to take time to listen and connect with my team members and make sure that I was there as a supportive leader. And I think another key point with communicating with compassion is that that doesn't mean you enable. And to be a leader that enables is incredibly toxic to your team. And so finding that fine line between making sure that you are really demonstrating compassion toward your team, you're supporting them, you're finding ways to help them be the most successful and productive team member, but also understanding that this is a really, really tough time for everybody and we're all getting through it together. That has been a really big hurdle, at least personally for me, when it comes to the new layer of having to communicate with a remote team. Katie, you shared that the emotion and rereading numerous emails and, and written communications out to the team has been very beneficial. One thing that's been beneficial for me as well is communicating with you and other pharmacy leaders. So sharing my communications with you or you sharing them with me before they go out to get a second perspective. So in challenging areas or challenging topics that are being communicated with the team, that you involve multiple perspectives to get a good read on, is there emotion in this email or is there clarity in this email? So that's another tactic that I find very helpful as we work to communicate with our team to make sure the message is clear. Yeah, that's great. As you know, coaching our team and developing future leaders is my area of passion. And you and I have regular conversations about the need for coaches, how every team member is a coach, and how can we help our team improve as a coach? How are you coaching your team to be better communicators? Yeah, so the first thing that I try to do is I try to lead by example. And if I am learning this, if I'm on this journey myself of developing my communication skill set and really pushing myself to reflect on my interactions and how I can be a better communicator, I think it really creates a nice opening for me to connect with my staff and, and my team in that way. It makes me vulnerable to my team members to say, hey, I'm working on this myself. Can you give me some feedback? And that helps me to lead by example because it lets them know that I'm welcoming that feedback. I want to know how I'm doing as a communicator and it makes them the coach. And so it really creates a two-way street for becoming better communicators. I also try to emphasize to uh, stay in tune or make it safe and try not to become emotional about the topics that we are discussing. If it's something that I really believe in, it's, it's a process that needs to change, really try to take a step back and acknowledge that I'm becoming emotional and take a moment to acknowledge that maybe the person on the other side of the table is becoming emotional too and stop the conversation and make it safe again for both of us to be in that interaction. And then finally, kind of to what I alluded to earlier, it's just embracing opportunities to provide in the moment coaching. So 
I tried to make it a point to round to all areas of the hospital where we have our team deployed who are working throughout the day to impact patient care, work with the other physicians and nurses and uh, medical staff that we have. And I tried to make sure that I'm visible to all of those team members. And as I step into those areas, have conversations with them about how things are going, how their day is going. And as issues come up, we can have good, honest, open conversations and really take a moment to coach each other, as I said earlier, in a two-way street. So here's what we're working on as a department. How do you think that's going? And it creates a lot of openness. And so that's been my approach to coaching and trying to make it a culture that we have here, specifically at Truman Medical Center. And I think it's been really, really positive. And I really enjoyed this experience of being able to not only develop myself, but to see others develop as well. Well, I have truly enjoyed this conversation and want to thank you for your time working on this podcast. What are your parting thoughts for our listeners? Would you outline one communication strategy they can start working on today? Sure. So I think one thing that is probably easier said than done, which is what this whole podcast is about, is to go have that conversation. So I'm sure that there is a large number of people listening today who can think of at least one conversation that they are avoiding, whether it's because of who the conversation is with or the topic it is about, or they feel uncomfortable bringing it up. Challenge yourself to go out there and have that conversation. Think through some of the steps that I've outlined to prepare yourself. And remember that the worst thing that could possibly happen probably is not as bad as what you are telling yourself it could be. Go out there and have that conversation. Don't be a statistic. Go out there and have it. That's all the time we have today. I want to thank Dr. Katie Cordy for joining me today to discuss steps to elevate your communication style. Also, check out Katie's webinar, The Art of Dialogue, A Stepwise Approach to Effective Communication, with CE credit on the ASHP Foundation website. Join us here on Tuesdays where we will be talking with ASHP members about leadership topics within pharmacy practice. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.